Welcome to the Enneagram Global Summit, where top experts are sharing key insights that illuminate the nine essential pathways to your true nature. Share this event with your friends and family, and come join us on Facebook at The Shift Network. And now your host, Jessica Dibb, founder of the Inspiration Consciousness School. Welcome, everyone, to the Enneagram Global Summit 2016 nine essential pathways for transformation. I'm delighted with having our guest Cheryl Richardson here today to talk with us about a really important and really new topic, self-care and the instincts. A little bit about Cheryl is that she's the author of six books focused on self-care and the inner work necessary to create an authentic, meaningful life. Her most recent book is You Can Create an Exceptional Life with Louise Hay, and you can learn more about her and her work at CherylRichardson.com. Cheryl, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me, Jessica. I'm so happy to be back with you again. You know, you have really developed a body of work and teachings about self-care that have taken it from the realm of just um, normal practicalities and then even a kind of self-indulgence to a place of understanding that self-care is absolutely essential for each of us having a life where we're completely self-actualized and able to give our gifts to the world. And so I was really fascinated when you picked the topic of bringing the sense of self-care embedded in our instinctual nature or the three instincts. Now, there are people listening to our summit this year who I know are new to the Enneagram, and so I just want to mention that a little bit about the instincts because this is another layer of self-understanding that we work with in the Enneagram field that really can help with self-development. They're a major aspect of human nature in that they lie in our hard wiring as biological beings. There's actually neurological pathways for each of these instincts that we have because we, of our need for survival as individuals and a, and a species. So the first one is called self-preservation, and that is about really preserving the body and our life and functioning and at a higher level caring for it in such a way that it supports our highest aspirations and being able to be uh, to live a life or create a life in which we can manifest those. The next instinct is called by different schools different things. It's called the sexual instinct by some. It's called one-on-one by others and some people even call it the attraction instinct, but what it is, it's about our ability to reach uh, beyond uh, our just self-preservation, to extend ourselves towards something in the environment, through relationships, through generations, through experiences, to reach for something that is desirable, that is going to be some kind of experience of a connection or coming into contact with something that helps us evolve in some way. So at a, at a higher level, this is really about even the search for 
God or the divine, if you will, or certainly self-actualization. And then we have a third instinct called the social instinct, uh, which is really about how we experience ourselves and others in connection, secure social bonding, feelings of belonging, feelings of cooperation, or how it is that the group or the family or the system can work together and my place in it so that we all feel secure, bonded, and cooperative. The more awakened instinctual expression of that really has to do with kind of like the U2 song where the streets have no name, where he says, and when I go there, I go there with you. It's all I can do, that we recognize that we are each other. There is no separate, there is only one being, and in a sense, or a manifestation of the one, and that if any of us suffer, we all suffer, and our joy is everyone's joy. So that would be the more awakened aspect of that instinct. So, Cheryl, coming back to all of that, I was just fascinated that you came up with this topic. I've never really heard it addressed directly before. And I was wondering if you could share with us how you view the instincts and how you work with them. Well, first of all, I want to say you just did such a beautiful job of describing each of the instincts. Um, thank you for that. And um and as you were talking, I was thinking about, you know, this whole body of work, the Enneagram and the instincts are something that are so have been so incredibly important to me in my own life and my own personal work and my own growth. And one of the things I love, and I just want to say that I am a humble student of the Enneagram. I don't consider myself a teacher uh, of the Enneagram. I really consider myself a student, somebody who is passionate about this material Um, and one of the reasons in particular is because to me especially in studying Russ and Don's work you know Russ has been such an important teacher for me um, in my own work as well as uh, a woman named Ellen Wingard who I don't know if you know Ellen Jessica but I always like to acknowledge the people who have had such profound influences on me and both Russ and Ellen's work have really taken my own growth to a whole other level one of the things I love about the Enneagram and about the instincts in particular is there is a clear path of development that we can follow that leads us to a higher and higher expression of who we are. So, um, and I'm a practical gal by nature, you know, as a coach, as somebody who's coached for many, many years and worked with lots of people, um, I know that change happens when we do something different in our lives. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that as we as we go for, forward. But So when I look at the path of development for the in the Enneagram or with the instincts in particular, um, it gives me some place to go and it gives me some place to lead others in a practical way that allows them to not only learn about and be stimulated by and inspired by the material, but to actually integrate it into their lives. So when I think about the instincts... I like to I like to also keep things as simple as possible. It's just my nature. Um, I think about the instincts this way. I think about the self-preservation uh, instinct as my... I think of them each as like connections or relationships to something. So I think about self the self-preservation instinct as my connection or relationship to myself and to the world, 
to my own personal foundation, you know, my, my, how, I, how I'm rooted to the world, how I'm rooted to myself, and what kind of a strong foundation that creates for me. When I think about the sexual instinct, I think about my relationship or connection to energy, to aliveness, and to growth, you know, um, to those things that awaken me, that connect me to flow, that connect me to a sense of aliveness and that, that stretch me or challenge me in some way to grow beyond where I am. And then I think about the social instinct as my connection or relationship with others, with myself. Let me just say that first, with myself, with others. My connection or relationship to support, to receiving, and also to giving, to contribution, and ultimately my connection or relationship with the greater oneness that you described so beautifully. So, Cheryl, you were saying that one of the things about coaching that excites you the most is really creating change for people, that that's your main thrust, is how there can be action that produces change. So when you're looking at the instincts, can you tell us the link between presence and action? It's interesting. When I began to really look at the instincts, which is really in the last couple of years, um, my first initial focus was more on the Enneagram. And um, one of the things I realized was that so much of my work as a coach, back when I had a private practice and back when I was even first training to be a coach in the early 90s, so much of the, the work in coaching was actually directly linked to the instincts. So, for example, in coaching, we often focused on a client's needs, wants, and support. This is sort of generally speaking. And when you think about it, in some ways, the self-preservation instinct is really about building a strong personal foundation, which was the first place we began. I began in working with clients, and then eventually when they had a strong foundation, then it was, okay, now that you've got this foundation in place, let's look at what you want in your life and how can, create, how can we create more of that. And then the whole relationship between the coach and the client was this beautiful kind of hosting of a person's life using support and the art of receiving and the belief in the sort of love and oneness connection between people to help make change happen. So, so it was interesting to me to see that there was this direct link between balancing the instincts and, do, and, and work as a coach. Now, much like Russ, I really believe that the first, that our default needs to be this practice of presence, really coming home to ourselves, coming home to this moment, coming home to where our body is in this moment, and really developing this consistent practice of tuning in to where am I right now? How am I feeling in my body? How am I feeling energetically? How am I feeling in this this mini world called my life? And um, that that practice is important. The challenge is if we've if we're in a situation in our lives, for example, where the instincts are really out of balance, it can be very difficult to have a consistent practice of presence. This reminds me very much, you know, a lot of my work over the years, over the last 25 years, has been rooted in this whole notion of the link between the mind and the body, right? How we think influences our physiology, for example. And one of the things over the years I began to realize very clearly as I worked with this link between how I think and what happens in my body is that how we, as much as how we think influences our physiology, 
our physiology also influences how we think. So, for example, if you're somebody who's um, suffering from adrenal burnout, let's say, it's very difficult to sit and be present or to manage one's mind when the body's going 100 miles an hour and it's out of whack. So in a similar way with the instincts, I think it's important to recognize that by taking very specific actions to bring more balance to the instincts, to relax the instinct that might be um, over, the, the, the muscle of the instinct that might be overused, to relax that a bit and begin to strengthen the muscle of the instinct that's underused, we actually increase our chances to succeed in having a more consistent practice of presence. Um, so for a great example of that is, you know, if I'm, if I'm worried in my own life about something from a self-preservation standpoint, like let's say that, you know, I'm really worried about finances and I'm feeling insecure. Something happens in the market and I think, oh my God, there goes my retirement and I'm feeling anxious about that. It's going to be very, it might be very difficult to sit down. I mean, today it wouldn't be difficult because I've got a consistent, like I know enough that actually the first thing to do is to sit down, set an alarm for 10 minutes, be quiet and get centered and connect with the reality that, you know, this physical world really is an illusion. But prior to that consistent practice, um, what I might need to do in order to be able to sit with presence is to make a phone call to, you know, a financial planner or to take a look at, you know, my whatever, my financial records and make sure that things are aligned or simply have a conversation with my partner, my spouse or um, my partner about the reality of my thinking so that I can calm the physiology down and be able to be more present. So a consistent practice of presence becomes more achievable and easier to experience when we're taking action to balance the instincts so we're not so afraid or out of out of balance, out of whack in some way. I'm really happy to hear what you said about the mind-body connection as a realization for you. That was a realization I myself had many years ago, and I thought this is one of the difficulties sometimes with um, the self, the personal growth movement is that in the, in articulating the mind-body connection, everyone talks about how much the mind affects the body, but doesn't give an equivalent tr- the equivalent truth, which is how much the body affects the mind. And so it seems like with the way that you've been able to discern all of this and then create practical ways of approaching it that people can create a deeper self-development that's more embodied, more integrated. And it seems like the way that you work with the instincts is very embodied and very integrated. Yeah, you know, I just want to help people set themselves up, set themselves up to succeed. And, you know, if I just drank five cups of coffee, expecting me to sit and meditate for an hour is probably unrealistic. That's a very clear example of how our physiology influences how the mind works, right? So it's the same thing with the instincts. And the self-present, a lot of ways, the self-present instinct really is that foundation. Um, I find a lot of people get thrown a lot because they don't, they just don't look at the reality that, you know, you got to have your bills paid in order to feel, in order to feel centered, let's say, or, you know, if you're worried about having a roof over your head, it's going to be very difficult to have a consistent 
meditation practice because the level of anxiety you have in your life, in your physical reality, um, is influencing your ability to connect to higher realms. So I just want people to, to be set up to succeed. And, and with that, let me just say this, and I think this is also extremely important. This is life's work. So if we just take the instincts, the whole notion of self-care and the instincts, and the balancing of the instincts. There is no, just like there is no balanced life, a balanced life is a myth. And, you know, when I wrote my first book, which is Take Time for Your Life, I I showed this pie chart with a balanced life. And if I went back to redo that book, I'd take the pie chart out. Because a balanced life is a myth, and it sets people up to feel bad. It's the same thing with the instincts. We're in physical form on planet Earth. This is a hard place to be. Our goal is to develop awareness to when we're out of balance so that we can use that to our advantage and pull ourselves back into or allow ourselves back into balance. But the reality is life's going to happen and we're going to be faced with challenges. Losing a job, losing a loved one, losing a pet, um, the diagnosis of an illness, moving, getting married, getting divorced, dealing with an aging parent, all of these things naturally cause us as human beings very often to enter into a regressed state where we go back in time and suddenly I may be a 56-year-old woman right now having this conversation, but if I'm upset about something, I may actually emotionally be 10. And a 10-year-old isn't going to have the wherewithal to have a sense of awareness around the balancing of his or her instincts. So in that moment, our job is to just be a loving presence for ourselves, to grow ourselves back up. To, you know, I often will just put my hand on my heart when I'm feeling out of whack, out of balance, and say to myself, sweetheart, how old are you right now? Ask your subconscious to give you a number. It's usually accurate. How old are you feeling right now? Let me, get, let me re-engage with the higher part of me, the adult part of me, my higher essence, you know, whatever you might call it given, given where you're at, let me, let me show up for myself without judgment, without shame, without rushing myself even, with compassion for the fact that I'm a human being on planet Earth. And this is our life's work. Um, you, I, don't think, I don't think you can be on the planet and have balanced instincts from, you know, X day forward. It just doesn't work that way. So as much as I have dedicated my life to this work personally and professionally, personally first, by the way, I, there were days, Jessica, where you could be here with me in the house and you'd think, oh my God, this woman's written books on self-care and she's talking about self-care and the instincts and look at what's going on with her today. The difference is I know how to love myself usually through that experience and that's what I want for people here as we go on to talk more practically about how to um, identify our blind spots and how to balance more of the instincts. It's it's really about no judgment. There's a lot of shame, for example, with you know, people for, I've worked with so many people who don't have strong self-pres and they have so much shame about that. And the thing is, shame exists and gets stronger when we keep, it, keep these, the reality of our situation secret. When we tell somebody, I'm really scared, you know what, I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills next month and I'm too embarrassed to tell anybody about that or, you know, I screwed up again and... I've spent more money than I can afford and I just feel like a loser. And, you know, telling somebody safe, it's like popping a balloon. You take the energy out of the shame piece and you give yourself a fair shot at being able to move forward as an example for 
approaching what we're about to talk about here in terms of actions in a more loving and compassionate way with oneself. That's really beautiful. And, you know, as you were talking, Cheryl, I was thinking about um, Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Um, Yes, yes. We certainly know that there are extraordinary people who live in very torturous even, you know, deprived circumstances and still come through and are able to do amazing things in the world if they had had an easier time of getting food or whatever it is, it would have um, been profound for them. And certainly for most of us, as Abraham Maslow identified, we're actually going to be able to more easily access the next level of development if the one before it has been taken care of. And so it seems like, you know, in this instinctual, we're really talking about a human being having a sense of wholeness about their life. Before we go into the action steps, can you say if you see that the sexual instinct, for instance, or one-on-one instinct is not being attended to, what do you think um, goes missing then in a life? So I think with the um, with the sexual instinct, for example, and again, I mean, there's so many places we could go with this. So I just want to name the fact that um, I'm just, you know, you're getting this one kind of sliver of a perspective, but from a sexual instinct. If I look at my own life, um, I know that I'm missing, I'm missing that uh, when I know that, let's say, I'm. I've got more self-pres going on than sexual, let's say, when I'm missing a sense of aliveness, when I'm missing a sense of energy. I may even just be low energy, right? I might be um, feeling like I'm not generating energy or I feel stuck in old patterns and behaviors. Like we've all been there where, you know, you wake up in the morning and you think, oh my God, here I go again. Or, or you know, you've you've vowed to really treat your body in a healthy way and suddenly, you know, you're at the bakery getting croissants, which I personally love. And, um, you know, you're, you're, you're eating croissants and you suddenly realize, okay, I'm going for, I'm hungry for something. What am I hungry for? Um, that's now interfering with, you know, the self-pres part of me that wants to take good care of my body. And, and the, the social instinct, you, you know, I think chronic loneliness, I actually think is, um, is a is a a sort of global dilemma of our time. I think we're we're longing for a deeper connection with ourselves. I think our connection with technology has actually pulled us out of ourselves. It's also drawn a wedge between us and other human beings because it gives us this kind of pseudo idea that we're actually connected because I'm watching you on Facebook, but it really doesn't work that way. I mean, Facebook has some. I'm going to talk about some great uses for Facebook in terms of the instincts, but. Um, I think that there's a certain chronic sense of loneliness that lets us know that something's missing socially, a sense of contribution. Like any time you think about, you know, if you're self-aware enough to recognize, I'm so preoccupied with myself. I'm preoccupied, you know, with the fact that I'm not happy with how my life is going or I'm preoccupied with this low mood that seems to be consistent um, if you're self-aware enough to recognize even that, like a glimmer of a sense of maybe I ought to do something for somebody else to just get out of my own head, or maybe you've been thinking about getting a pet, something to attend to, or flowers or plants to grow so that you're suddenly in relationship with something where you're contributing 
and you're creating this beautiful give and take, um, mm-hmm. you know, just the recognition that you may need to be doing something to get outside of yourself is might be a good indication that there's there's some work to be done around the social instinct piece, uh, you know, in terms of creating more balance. Again, I feel like those are just, there's so many, and, and I guess I'll touch on examples as we go into the next mm-hmm. part here to just sort of make that clear. There is a way in which we are, we are, malnourished in terms of our connection to ourself, our relationship with ourselves, especially depending on your Enneagram type. And I think that a lot of times we confuse loneliness mm-hmm. with maybe an inability to self-soothe or, an Ill, in a, or just an unfamiliarity with being with ourselves, um, mm-hmm. really present with ourselves. It can actually be just a, you know, the lack of a consistent practice of presence in one's life. I mean, I can't tell you how many people I've taught to literally just set an alarm once a day for 10 minutes and trusting that in a week or two, you'll actually look forward to that time and want to add more. And people who, you know, just were so completely checked out in terms of their connection to themselves will come back to me and say, I had no idea how lonely I was for me. And Mm -hmm. I kept calling it loneliness, which made me think I had to socially fill up my time. I mean, geez, you know, I could have long conversations with you, Jessica, about the amount of time I've spent in my own life filling up space with other people because I just couldn't be with myself. And so I just want to name that as well as um, sometimes our loneliness is an indication that we must fall in love with ourselves. We We need to date ourselves. We need to spend time with ourselves. We need to court um, ourselves. And by the way, balancing the instincts is a beautiful way to do that. It's To me, it's an exciting and interesting way to do that. I think that was really powerfully said, Cheryl, and, and a really good discernment. And I love that you're saying that working with our instincts is a powerful way to, to do that, um, fall in love with ourselves, because I think it's true. I think everybody who gets into instinct work suddenly finds this whole new doorway of self appreciation and self-relating and they start to feel the potential for this greater harmony that really speaks to their essence so um so let's get into some of the exercises that you recommend um for people to help them identify their instincts to help them identify their blind spots and to work with balancing the instincts Mm-hmm. So um, here's some things that I've done both personally and then in in working with other people, um, not in a formal sense because I don't do that, but but just you know um, sometimes if I'm teaching a retreat, for example, I'll bring this work into it, or um, in talking with friends um, it, to determine the instinctual needs that need to be strengthened or developed, or you know to identify blind spots. Some of the things. I look at are um, some of the questions I ask are things like, what do you envy in others? And this is where social media, I think, can be incredibly helpful. Um, I, and I, I think we also, let me just say, for the, for the sexual instinct, you know, dominant sexual instincts, I think it's important to limit our time, and social instincts, actually, to limit our time on social media. But, you know, looking at Facebook and noticing what you consistently envy may be um, may provide you with some examples of the instincts that need to be developed. So in my own life, um, 
you know, last year, early last year sometime, every now and then I would see uh, colleagues of mine who would post pictures of like traveling to cool places and they'd have like a great nature shot or they'd be, you know, out to dinner somewhere in some great city. And I would feel so envious, like, oh my God, you know, I'm just here at home and uh, you know, I, I just would think, I mean, and there were times where I'd think, oh, my God, does this person ever stay home for crying out loud? Every time I turn around, they seem to be in some great place doing some awesome thing. And But I've learned over the years that any time you feel jealous or envious of someone else, it's usually an indication that there's something within you that's calling to be heard, a hunger that may be um, calling to be fed or a part of you that even needs to be expressed more or work you need to be doing in the world. And so... I remember saying to my husband, Michael, last July, you know what? For years I've talked about going to London at Christmas time. You know, I love, I'm like a kid at Christmas. I love seeing decorations. I've always been in London working towards the end of October, beginning of November, just when they'd start to get ready for the holidays. But I never booked it because I was always traveling on business, so I wanted to be home, or I always thought, oh, you know, the self-pres part of me was, well, it's going to be expensive, or... You know, do do we really want to take a vacation like that around the holidays? And because I'm aware of this work, I said to myself, Cheryl, that is your sexual instinct. That's the aliveness, your connection to energy that you're hungry for, that you keep envying in others. So do something about it. And I booked us a trip for five days, the beginning of December. And I'm telling you, Jessica, it it will go down as one of the highlights of my life. We had such a great time. It was like such a sexual instinct vacation, you know, just, you know, seeing great friends, like eating great food, seeing amazing sights, taking photos, laughing like a kid. I mean, and it all was born from social media, seeing what I envied in others. So that's one thing that we can look at. What are you drawn to? And especially what are you secretly drawn to? Now, early in my life, for example, when I look back, this is how I know. I love to look at things like music, entertainment, you know, anything that we can experience either visually or auditorily or, you know, sensually. Um, What are you drawn to? uh, And especially the kind of thing you're drawn to that you maybe don't want other people to know about. That might be more sort of the sexual instinct. But I remember in my probably 15, 20 years ago, I, when Madonna came out with her documentary, Truth or Dare, I don't know if you remember that documentary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was about her being, I loved that, that documentary. I used to, I, I probably watched it like 10 times when I'd be working out. When I look back, what I realized was um, I was drawn to that because I had a very strong social instinct happening. I'd say social instinct was dominant. Um, self-pres was probably second and sexual instinct was, that's usually the one that I, I need to be, you know, that's my key to, to aliveness is always watching that one. Um, also, you know, Prince just died. Prince was another person who, um, some, somebody that I found, you know, I found myself drawn to, I think that rebellious nature, that full expression of aliveness, that kind of giant, you know, just screw you to the world like I'm just going to be who I am like you know what are you drawn to are there certain is there is there certain art that you're drawn to are there certain people you're drawn to um, that you really just enjoy their company what are they embodying that some part of you is hungry for that can often be 
Uh, maybe you really envy, for example, or draw, you, you envy somebody who seems to have their stuff together when it comes to like money and organization. And that may be an indication that the self-pres is underdeveloped and needs more attention. Or maybe you're really drawn to somebody who, you know, just has built an unbelievable community um, of, for their business, let's say. And they're really making a grand contribution and you might envy them. Or you're drawn to what they're doing or what they're teaching that might be an indication that the social instinct is underdeveloped and is calling for more attention. What do you procrastinate about? I mean, I think that's kind of an obvious, what are the things you keep putting off? And that may be an indication of the undeveloped instinct or the, the blind spot. Um, what makes you crazy or inspires you? Um, I'm trying to think of, oh, I know. Here's a good example of that. Um, so my husband, Michael, is a five. And um, I'd say he's five. Self-pres is his dominant instinct. Um, sexual is a secondary and uh, social is a third. And one of the things that he's a writer as well. And um, one of the things that used to make me crazy was the way that he um, could lock himself in a room when he's working on a book and not come out for hours. It's like he would merge with his art. And, um, and, I was able to recognize, and I think this is actually especially helpful in our most intimate relationships with the people we live with. I can say more about this later, but I was able to recognize that it made me crazy. I'd say to him, hello, come out into the world, until I realized there's a kind of merging with his art that I'm not good at um, and that I could actually learn something from him, that he, on a spiritual level, was really modeling for me um, the thing that was making me crazy was actually an instinct that he had overdeveloped, that I had underdeveloped, and um, I could actually use him as my teacher. And so I went to him, and I actually attempted to reverse engineer his merging with the art, right, the sexual instinct piece. And I literally said to him things like, tell me what you do in your writing. Um, tell me how you go about working on certain chapters. And I learned so much about doing art in a different way that was incredibly helpful by seeing him as a teacher instead of somebody who was making me nuts. So these are just some of the, some of the questions we might ask ourselves. And then I would say this as, I think this is a great exercise, and this kind of pulls in a bit of internal family systems work. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that, Jessica. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I imagine some people listening are familiar with the fact that we have all of these different parts of us inside that get developed when we're young and some are overdeveloped and some are underdeveloped. One of the things I love to do in preparation for really taking on this balancing of the instincts of, of really, you know, awakening to where we're strong in one area and, and weak in another and really um, taking it on as this great, exciting project is I like to name the instinct, instinct parts of me. So, and, and this, these names will change depending on where you are in your life. But as an example, um, there are times in my life where the self-pres part of me is the CEO woman. Now, you might, call, you might call this part the manager or the director, you know, the caretaker, whatever. You know, everybody will have their different name. But I'll tell you why I'm saying this in a second. So the self-pres part for me has been the CEO woman. The social part... Sometimes I'll call her the rainmaker, the rainmaker both for myself and for others. And then the sexual instinct part of me, I call the sensual adventurer. 
So I name these parts because it gives me an opportunity to be in relationship with them in a very intentional way. And an exercise that I think is incredibly helpful is to take it to go to a journal with three different color pens and invite each part to write in the journal using a different color pen to really explore what that part of you that represents a particular instinct has to say. So I might go and I might say to the CEO woman, you know, I might ask her a question, you know, um, how are you feeling about the state of our our world, you know, our personal world right now? Or is there anything you'd like to say to me? You know, how, how are you experiencing life right now? You can do that for each of the parts. What do you need more of? What do you need less of? And by doing this exercise, using different colored pens and giving each instinct, uh, seeing each instinct as an as a internal part of us, giving it a chance for expression, I think we can learn a lot about um, how those parts are being experienced, how we're experiencing those parts and what they need. Um, sometimes a CEO woman will say to me, I'm exhausted, enough already. You're so responsive, you know, I'm, I'm tired. I'm, I'm working overtime trying to keep everything in check. You know, and the sexual instinct is like saying, you know, the, the sensual adventure is like, hello, hello. <laughs> you haven't visited for a while. You know, I'm just hanging out here taking a nap, Right. Or the rainmaker may be saying, you know, look at your schedule. There's so much on the schedule this week. How much of what's on your schedule is actually really feeding, feeding you? Because, um, you know, we can talk about the importance of healthy relating from the social instinct um, perspective. But I think that that's just, it's just a great exercise I've found to be incredibly helpful in giving each of those parts of us a chance to be present in our lives, a chance to be heard, and a chance to communicate what that part needs so we can then take specific actions. That's really creative, Cheryl. Um, Definitely, I can imagine many people trying that now. I'm going to try that. Are there any other interesting ways that you've used to develop less dominant instincts with yourself and with clients? Yeah, so um, one of the things that I I think is so exciting about this work is that each instinct provides, can provide healing and and can provide such a great invitation to the, so a dominant instinct, well, I'm not even going to say that. I'm just going to say that we can use the instincts in different ways to support us as we create more balance. And I'll give you an example. So um, years ago when I really wanted to, again, this sort of goes back to coaching. The first level of coaching was really looking at the self-pres instinct. It's really about how do you create a strong foundation in your life with your health, your environment, both your work and home environment, your finances, your relationships, you know, really looking at how do we create a stable foundation that you can build your life on top of. And so one of the things I did, um, I made a commitment. I think, I, I think my sexual instinct was running a, a little wild as a young woman and I would spend money I didn't have and I'd, you know, rack up debt on credit cards. And um, looking back, I see one of the things I did is I used the sexual instinct, the aliveness, the energy of that instinct, to support the development of the self-pres part of me that was undeveloped by making a game out of paying off my debt. So I literally made a list 
of all of the debt that I had, starting with the highest interest rate to the lowest interest rate, I made like a poster. I hung it on the wall. And each time I reached certain milestones with paying off the – well, first of all, let me just say, just making it a game was bringing in that kind of that, – that more uh, – that the juice of the sexual instinct, right, the excitement, making it fun and interesting, making it an adventure. Each time I would reach a certain milestone, I would do something to reward myself. Obviously, I wouldn't go out and spend a ton of money, but I would give myself a, a guilt-free experience or gift or whatever. And by doing that, I not only got the debt paid off, but I created this whole kind of interesting and exciting um, experience, really exciting experience around creating this foundation of living debt-free and then even saving money so that it began to be exciting to be able to amass certain amounts of money each month in my account rather than seeing it as, you know, um, just this, you know, loathsome, boring, Mm -hmm. painful process of deprivation. You know, really, that's what I want to say is deprivation. I look back at my work as a coach, you know, early on I created life makeover groups and I wanted people to have access to other people in their communities for free where they could take some of the work that I was writing about in my books and support each other. It was such a beautiful way of using the social instinct Mm -hmm. in support of both myself and of other people. And I certainly learned that you can take any kind of imbalance, put it, and I would recommend this to people listening this has helped me tremendously too. Any kind of imbalance in the instincts, take it on as a project, an exciting project, bring the sexual instinct into it, gather with two or more people and make it an intentional plan of balancing the instincts by you know, identifying where the blind spot is and specific, more specifically what you need to do. Use the other people in your social group to support you in coming up with ways to um, develop the undeveloped, the underdeveloped instinct. Um, I think that's a beautiful way of um, leaning on the social instinct. Early in my career, I was part of a mastermind group. Um, it, we met every single month. And when I look back on that group through the lens of instincts now, I see that there were people who were dominant sexual instincts, dominant self-pres, dominant social. And they really helped me to stretch the parts of me that were undeveloped. And I think that that's what we can do for one another. Um, one of the things I did this January, I recognized um, that the social instinct part of me, I think having been out there in the world and social for a long time, I began to pull way back into a more self-pressed place and like literally just stopped communicating with a lot of people. I think I needed to do that in some ways to rest, but it got to the point where it was out of balance. So one of the things I did in January was I knew that we were going into Um, The winter season, I knew that here in the Northeast where I live in Massachusetts, it's a time when I often would pull in and isolate. So I did two things to, to, I was was in a very self-pressed place and I knew that I needed to do something to add the sexual and the social. And I went and joined a CrossFit gym. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with CrossFit, but it's, you know, it's a small gym where there are athletes there, firefighters, police military, but, you know, real athletes doing some kick-ass workouts to, like, uh, you know, um, to, like, in, you know, heavy metal music. And it's the complete opposite of what I would ever do. But it was, I knew that I was intentionally stretching myself 
to be social because what they do are group programs every single day. So you're not working out just by yourself. I was scared out of my mind, Jessica, the self-pressed part of me. I mean, I can't tell you, we all know this, right? The dominant instinct will give you every reason in the world as to why you shouldn't do something. And they sound really legitimate, but I knew better. Here's another important tip in terms of balancing instincts. When in doubt, do the opposite of what you'd normally do. I think that's a really simple, powerful piece of advice. And every time, you know, the self-pressed part of me would give me a great reason why um, I shouldn't go to this CrossFit gym, I would say to myself, Cheryl, the only reason you're going is it's because it's the complete opposite of what you'd normally do. And it was one of the best things I could have done. It's now, you know, been several months and I've made some new friends. I'm much stronger. My body's stronger. I love rap and heavy metal music. I never thought I would have said that, but boy, when I'm working out, it keeps me like present and focused. And it's a great example of balancing, um, uh, uh, being aware of where the imbalance is and taking it on and um, doing something to balance it. So the last example I want to give of that is a really, was a really beautiful one for me. You know, I, I remember, um, I remember Russ, um, you know, I love when Russ and I get together because I always know I'm going to have a great sexual instinct experience. And I, I value that in him. And I think he values the self-pres part of me. And I remember him talking about, I think it was in the course that he did, uh, that he just finished up with the Shift Network. Fantastic course. Um, the Enneagram, the Awakening, and the Enneagram, I forget the exact title of that, Jessica, you probably Yeah, the know. Enneagram of Awakening, yes. Yeah, really, really great course. He's such a good teacher. And I, and if anybody, I'm assuming it'll be available, you know, in audio form. And I highly recommend that if you're interested in this, in the instinct work, especially. I remember when he talked about, as a kid, first hearing um, Jimi Hendrix's Purple Haze. And he talked about how he stood right up. Like he just stood up. Like it, it clearly ignited something in him. And Almost a year ago for a Valentine's Day present, I gave my husband, Michael, um, salsa dance lessons. Now, remember, he's a five. Think about this, Jessica, right? He's a five with strong self-pres five. And I said to him, I know this is going to be a leap, um, but would you do this with me? You know, it's, it's important. Let's, let's give this a shot. He's very familiar with the instincts, and he's, you know, also willing to take it on, and so he did. And we've been having lessons ever since. And I have to say, he's turned out to be actually a really great dancer, much to his surprise. Um, and a little bit to my surprise, too, I have to say. But I want to say that, um, so there was one day where he was sick and he was unable to make the lesson. And so our teacher came and I ended up doing the lesson with him. Now, what's great about this particular action that I'm taking is I've been a leader. The CEO woman has been in charge a lot in my life. And in salsa, it's salsa is a very sensual, sexual, beautiful dance. And I'm the follower. And I've had to really learn how to be a follower. It's part of the reason I took it on. I wanted to become masterful at following. In this particular day, uh, I was dancing with my teacher, who, of course, is a very experienced salsa dance teacher. And about a half an hour into the lesson, we're just dancing. No instruction, just dancing. And in the middle of it, I had my stand-up moment where I tears came to my eyes. I was completely in the flow. I felt sure-footed and secure about what I was doing. I knew the steps. I had done it enough to know what was going on. I was in connection, heart-to-heart connection with this other human being. 
um, who was just completely present with me. I was completely present with him. And we were dancing this beautiful sensual dance. And I just started to cry. And I thought, you know, this is such a great example of the balanced instincts, right? Sure-footedness, strong foundation, connection with another being, soul-to-soul connection with another being, and a connection to the electricity, that energy, that that sort of stand-up energy of of being in the flow. And um, when you have that experience, and, and I guess I want to kind of use that as a metaphor or as an example of what we're talking about here, we want to be aiming for this. It will never be like this all the time, but it's these moments of flow. I guess what I want to say is, when we balance the instincts, when we have the experience of balancing the instincts, I believe we are then, we connect ourselves up with this divine energy, this presence with a capital P, and life starts dancing us. And we have, we all know what that feels like. We've all had that stand-up moment, an extraordinary experience in nature, a theater performance, a flow experience when you're writing or when you're teaching, um, when a child is, you know, at your breast, eating, you know, drinking, being nourished, and you just have that moment. I have them a lot with my cat, you know, my, I'm such an animal lover. When we've had that moment of connection where we feel solid and sure-footed and connected to something or something greater than us or another being, a soul connection, and we have that energy running through us, that to me is kind of the beacon that we want to just keep keep pointed at in terms of um, balancing the instincts. Because then what happens, quite frankly, is the more we can keep that balance, the more we can strive to aim to keep that balance, the more connected we are. And that's when our lives become a true reflection of the essence of who we are. And I don't think you can ask for anything more than that. That is so inspiring, Cheryl, and I'm thinking about how there's a consistent theme running through this summit, that one of the powers of the Enneagram, there are many, but one of them is that it really creates a compassionate platform to to depathologize our behaviors and to understand the intelligence and logos of even our most twisted behaviors. And I think that you've just, what I'm excited about in this session is that you've just created an invitation for everyone to work with their instincts in a playful kind of way, in a pragmatic and playful way which invites us out of the shaming and struggle that so many of us feel about our instinctual uh, patterns and habits, um, and instead to feel the joy of, again, it's depathologizing them and feeling the joy of working with them to, as you just said, allow or support our essence in leading our lives. Yes. Uh, yeah, and, and I would add a word to that. I would say work, I, I think that's so beautifully said, and to work with them in a pragmatic, playful, and creative way, like really get creative about how, because I think when we do that, we then, we really do take this on as the soul's work that it can be, this 
really exciting soul's work is what we're talking about here, and um, which means that any any underdeveloped instinct, any blind spot is just ripe with possibility, you know, just pregnant with opportunity to really inspire us and inform us and grow us and challenge us. And, um, and to me, that's, that's what's so exciting about this work in particular with the instincts. It's a beautiful path of development, um, especially you know, especially when you name the parts and you form a, a relationship with each part and you get in the habit of dialoguing with those parts. It's really, I don't know, I'm excited about it. I think it's, you know, this is really powerful healing work. Just this piece alone can make a huge difference in people's lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting, pragmatic, playful, and creative. So the pragmatic is the self-preservation, the playful is the social and the creative is sort of like the sexual attraction instinct or one-on-one and yeah i again i feel excited too because i feel like you're bringing into i know many people that are excited about instinct work and how it's really integrated them as human beings where their very quest for spiritual awakening no longer feels separate from their day-to-day activities. It's a really profound integration for them. And I think you've just really stretched and added to our understanding and lexicon and linguistics an approach of how we can work with it so that this integration can happen for all of us. Yeah. So, Cheryl, I want to thank you for being here with all of us. Is there anything that you'd like to say to everyone as we come to a conclusion well i want to thank you too it's always so great i love your contribution to the conversation jessica i really do and i guess the best thing i can leave everyone with is just it's it all begins and ends with loving ourselves through this process right it's really about there's there's no finish line to get to there's no um there's no race there's nothing wrong everything Everything provides us with an opportunity for growth, and um, when we can do that in the most self-loving way, um, I think that's, you know, that's that's what I would want to promote most of all is to just really host, be a beautiful host for yourself as you take this journey. That's really what I want to say. What a great statement! Be a beautiful host for yourself as you take this journey. Cheryl, thank you so much. Thank you, Jessica. Thank you for joining us for the Enneagram Global Summit, brought to you by the Shift Network. To add this powerful collection of teachings to your personal library, visit EnneagramGlobalSummit.com slash upgrade. To join our global community of people awakening to their divine humanity and taking inspired action, visit TheShiftNetwork.com. Thank you again for gathering with us and for sharing this empowering path with your friends and family.